1: All right, welcome to the Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the ride for the next hour. Lots of stuff to cover here, and I'll give you some contact right off the hop so you can use this anytime for a Savannah or a member of his team, no problem. Toll-free, obviously, 1-855-821-5900. The website disabilityrights.ca is there for you 24-7, of course. While you are there, you can find links to our long-running TV show, so I, I implore you to check that out, a 30-minute version Of what you'll get here basically on the radio every week, email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And I know uh, Savannah will refer to this throughout the hour, and that would be my mydisabilityquestions.com. As the title says, it's a place where you can ask questions and to uh, reach Savan and a member of the team at the firm. The best part is searchable database, so you can uh, type your question in, see if something similar has been asked or and answered. If so, you're good to go. Read the answer, and it should uh, should set you up nicely. If not, leave it there, and a member of the team will get back to you. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Coming up in just a bit, our main topic for the day would be top three bad reasons why people decide not to challenge their LT denials. This is hugely important, so stick around for it. But uh, you got a bunch of stuff to uh, to traverse uh, off the hops. What's going on, pal? How are you?
2: I'm good, John. Yeah, let, let's start off uh, with some interesting emails I received uh, in, in the past mm-hmm. week. Um, and, and this one comes from a listener out in BC. Again, just to remind all our listeners and any new listeners, we are long-term disability and employment lawyers, and we practice across Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. And, uh, you know, our show, the TV show, the radio show, they air in all three provinces, and. Um, this particular email comes from a listener in BC, and here's what he writes. It's quite interesting. Oftentimes, John, just to give some backdrop here, uh, people contact me and they say, "Listen, the insurance company is asking me to do this and that. Uh, they're they're saying that I have to go see one of their uh, um, you know doctors for an assessment, uh, or I have to give them these documents, or I have to apply for CPP disability. All these kinds of things." And I can answer all of these questions and I often do on a daily basis, but sometimes they they ask me questions that, you know, I scratch my head and I say, well, that's strange that the insurance company is asking the individual for this information or telling them to do this. And my response back is, tell your insurance company, the adjuster, to point you where in your LTD policy... It states that you have to do X, Y, and Z or you have to give them a particular document. And so this particular listener uh wrote the following to me, and that this is this is the context here of the conversation. He writes, I listened to your program on CKNW quite often in the car and thought that I would pass on an important tip you may you may want to share with your listeners. I am a life disability, critical illness and long term care insurance broker, contracted with twenty four companies licensed in seven provinces plus the territories and I have been in the business for 18 years the tip is as I advise all my clients to make sure that they keep a copy of their policy and know where they stored it as the contract will dictate what the insurance company will or will not do contracts change from time to time especially critical illness plus as an example And then he gives an example of a particular insurance company that is quite common, that issues these policies all Mm -hmm. the time. Uh, He says, this insurance company has six different disability policies, each with their own contract language. So being told that you have a policy from that insurance company doesn't help you much without knowing which one. That's the email. And this, this comes from Richard in BC. Now, John, this is really critical. It's really important. And, and you know, I, I always tell people, you are entitled to a copy of your policy. Uh, and in fact, uh, there's legislation, for example, in Ontario, I'm just looking it up right now on my computer, in Ontario, there is, uh, you know, under, I believe it's the Insurance Act, I'm just looking at this right now. Where it actually states uh that you have to provide a copy of the policy to the insured. Uh and, and in fact, I'm I'm gonna read to you right now section two ninety-three sub one uh, of the insurance act. It states an insurer entering into a contract shall furnish to the insured the policy and a copy of the insured's application you know etc., etc. my point is bc probably has similar legislation as does alberta and the key thing here is this you need to have a copy of your policy because anything that the insurance company tells you you have to do under that policy the disability policy critical illness policy life insurance policy anything they ask of you or tell you must be grounded in the contract you have a contractual relationship with the insurance company and this applies also to to employees of companies where they get their long-term disability plans through the uh you know employer's health benefits program because remember many people have long-term disability coverage either because they bought the coverage privately they have a private policy they purchase just like you and I purchase car insurance house insurance mm-hmm. etc or you have it as part of your health benefits package through work either way as an insured person Okay. Whether you've made an application for long-term disability or you are in the process of making it or you already have LTD coming in. In other words, you're a claimant. You're entitled to a copy of the policy. Of course, the problem then, you know, arises. What happens if the insurance company doesn't give you, a, you know, that copy? You have to remind them that it's their obligation by law. And the reality is that if they cut you off LTD or they deny your applications, if we get involved, they're going to furnish us a copy of the policy. They have no choice. Right. So you have to insist on it with your adjuster, uh, with the claims representative. And if you've gotten the insurance coverage through a broker, then get it through the broker. If you have it through your workplace, contact your HR department and get them to get your copy of the policy, because this is key. And it's key because oftentimes insurance companies either misinterpret provisions in the policy. They tell you to do things they're not allowed to ask you to do, or they ask you for things they're not allowed to ask. So you know, always have uh, uh, you know your guard up when you're dealing with your insurance company, because chances are, if they're asking you to do something and you don't feel comfortable with it, there's likely a problem here, and they need to point you to where in the policy it gives them the right to ask it.
1: Reaching out, by the way, anytime to Savan or a member of his team. If this is Pete, your interest, or you got other questions, one eight five five. Eight two one fifty nine hundred. 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Keep going, pal. What do you have?
2: All right, let's go. So this is another one here. This is the age of COVID, right? Many, many people are working from home. Many are not, but many are. And so I get this email early this week uh, that asked me a very simple question, but a very good one that I have not been asked before, which is this. Would long-term disability insurance still apply when you work from home? I think that's a great question because, you know, generally speaking, when people apply for long-term disability, you know, in their mind, it's because they can't go into the workplace and work, whether it's a labor-intensive job, even a desk job. But the point is, you cannot do the work. So, you know, does it still apply if you're working from home? Well, let's break it down. Let's again think about what is long-term disability. And again, I'm not talking about WSIB or WCB, that's workers' compensation. I'm not talking about government disability like CPP disability or in Ontario, ODSP. I'm talking about long-term disability with an insurance company that has to pay you income replacement if you are unable to work because of an illness or an injury. So when you look at those policies, those LTD policies with insurance companies, you will note that the majority of them, uh, the criteria that's outlined there for you to be able to get LTD, the eligibility, eligibility criteria, is that you are disabled from working. For the first two years, generally the test is, can you perform the essential tasks of your own occupation? If if the answer is no, and your doctors back you up, and they say you cannot do the essential tasks of your own occupation for the first two years, you should be entitled to and get LTD from your insurance company. And of course, if they deny you that, you should be contacting us, because then we can help you get it. Now, beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. The test becomes, can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience? So again, the test is are you disabled from performing the essential duties of either your own occupation or any occupation? So when we're thinking about work from home, let's take, for example, a, a common type of an illness that we see, which is severe depression, psychiatric illnesses, psychological illness, especially with COVID now, John. Okay. Right. I mean, yep. people are, are in, in really difficult situations. They feel anxiety, depression, PTSD, phobias. We see all these things rising up and bubbling to the surface. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. Let's say you're a computer engineer. Let's say you're a designer. Let's say you're an architect. Whatever it is. If you're working from home, but you are experiencing depression, you are now getting treatments from your doctor, family doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever it is. For whatever reason, because of life stresses, work stresses, you cannot do your work. You are disabled from doing the essential tasks of your own occupation. What doesn't matter? if you are doing this in the office, or if you're doing this at home. In other words, if you're disabled from working, you're disabled from working, irrespective of where you're disabled from working. So the answer is that it shouldn't really matter in the grand scheme of things if you work from home. If you are disabled from performing the essential tasks of your own occupation for the first two years, then you are entitled to LTD. If you are uh, unable to do the essential tasks of any occupation for which you're suited for, by training, education, or experience beyond the two-year mark, again, from home or from the office, you should be getting LTD. Now, the insurance company may see this differently, right? They may say, no, no, you work from home, so you're able to walk around, you're able to take a break, this and that. This is all baloney. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, if you have a doctor that is saying, on paper, this person suffers from X, Y, and Z, Again, it could be an illness, could be an injury, could be a combination of both. And as a result of those illnesses or injuries, this person is unable to perform the essential tasks of their occupation and for the foreseeable future they should be off work, guess what? The insurance company must pay you. And when they don't pay you, that's when we come into the picture. Okay. Insurance companies, by the way, will tell you, I know we talk about this on every show, but I want to reiterate this, John, they will tell you when they deny your claim that you can appeal that denial. Mm -hmm. Stay away from those appeals. Those appeals are generally useless. Okay, very, very important to understand. Uh, people, you know, tend to contact us, you know, two and three times, uh, sorry, after two or three denials. And by that point, they've wasted months and months, if not years, uh, you know, of their life running in circles with the insurance company, trying to apply for the disability benefits and appealing them. Uh, eventually, when they come to us, we resolve their claim fairly quickly. But, you know, it takes them time to understand that these appeal processes are useless.
1: The number to reach out as we get to a break. Lots more to cover here, so stick around for it, is uh, That's how you reach Savan help at disabilityrights.ca. We will get to some emails here in just a bit. And uh, the main topic going forward will be top three bad reasons why people decide not to challenge their LTD denials. These are wickedly important, so you want to stick around for those as well. It's a disability law show here
0: on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: And welcome back. Disability Law Show. John Scholes, Savannah Tamarkin here taking all the emails and your queries at uh, 1-855-821-5900. Toll-free number. The website, disabilityrights.ca. And help at disabilityrights.ca. Very shortly, we're going to get into our topic of three bad reasons why people decide not to challenge their LTD denials. That is coming up. And a reminder: you want to go to disabilityrights.ca to catch links to our long-running TV show as well. So make sure you uh, you have a have a look at that going forward as well. Okay, where are we uh, where are we taking this, pal? Well, John, again,
2: I'm just going through all the questions, a lot of the questions. So there's there's an email that came my way, again, about CPP disability. We seem to have emails of this nature on every show. So I want to address it because, again, there are people out there you know, who need the reinforcement, the information, and some people who have never heard this before, and so I want to make sure that we're on the same page with them. So in this case, this individual writes to me. Her name is Susan. She writes... Um, I was watching your, your TV show, and I thought I'd inquire, uh, inquire regarding uh, LTD and CPP disability. She says, I've been employed for six years. Um, I pay I, I paid the premiums for my short-term and long-term disability benefits myself uh, through the company, so my benefits are not taxable. I went on short-term disability in April of 2020 for depression and anxiety, and then I got switched to LTD. I'm not able to return to work yet. My insurance company has asked me to apply for CPP disability benefit. I don't understand why, since I paid for these benefits. Will they top it up? Excellent question. Again, uh, you know, when she's referring here, John, to the fact that she had paid the premiums herself for STD and LTD, I, that's a side point, but I want to make sure again that our listeners are aware of this. If your employer provides you with LTD coverage, meaning that you know they've arranged for it through your health benefits plan and you're contributing to it, so long as the employer pays a portion of the premiums for your STD and LTD coverage, if at some point in the future you need to access that coverage, meaning you need short-term or, or long-term disability, those benefits will be taxable because you were not the one to pay the full premiums, 100% of the premiums. But in this case, with this lady, what she's saying is, I paid 100% of the premiums, so my benefits are not taxable. So the only reason I'm saying this is because people often ask me, you know, are the benefits taxable or not, and, and how does that work in, in terms of you know if there is a legal claim against the insurance company, etc. So you need to understand, if you paid 100% of your premiums for your disability coverage, and you need to access that coverage. You are not going to get taxed on the LTD or STD that you get. Now, she's asking about CPP disability. So again, back to basics. Why do insurance companies, disability insurance companies, want you to apply for CPP disability? Very, very simple. Not because they're they're looking out for you. It's because they know that if you apply for CPP disability and you get it, then you, uh, then they get a credit for that amount. Again, simple example we always use. Let's say you get John $2000 a month for LTD from your insurance company. Let's say you uh, got approved for CPP disability and now you're getting $1000 a month from CPP disability. You're not getting 1000 bucks now from CPP and 2000 from your insurance company. You're still getting 2000 except that the insurance company only has to pay you 1000 bucks, not 2000 like before because they get a credit for the fact that CPP pays you 1000. Okay. Now, people then ask, well, why do I need to go through this? I mean, I and this lady's saying here, I paid 100% of my premiums for my disability coverage. Why would I ever need to go to apply to CPP disability, uh, especially if I'm not even getting a benefit out of it? Well, first of all, you will get a benefit from it if you, in fact, apply and get approved. And I'll go through that in a second. But what happens if you say, no, I won't? Well, if you don't apply for CPP disability, when your insurance company tells you to, what they end up doing in most cases is they end up estimating how much they think you ought to be getting or could be getting from CPP disability. I think that the max amount now in Canada, it rises every year, but I think it's around $1,400, thirteen to $1,400 a month at this point. So let's assume for a second that Susan here would be entitled to the max amount, let's say $1,400 a month. Well, guess what? If she doesn't apply for CPP disability and the insurance company estimates that she should be getting $1,400 a month from CPP disability, they're simply going to reduce her monthly LTD amounts by that $1,400. So you don't want to be in that situation. Now, what are the benefits? Well, consider this. Uh, To get CPP disability, you have to show the government that you are uh, disabled, that you have a severe and prolonged disability. And there's arguments within the disability legal bar as to whether CPP disability applications are actually more difficult than LTD applications. And the reason I'm saying this is because uh, many claimants obviously are rejected by CPP disability. But, you know, if you get CPP disability... You know, de facto, the, insur- the the government here has has confirmed or has uh, agreed that you are in fact disabled from working. So guess what? That reinforces your disability claim as against the insurance company, and and it's not likely. I'm not saying it never happens because it does, but it's not likely that if you got approved for CPP disability. That now your insurance company at some point later will come back and say, we don't think you're disabled because the problem with them saying that is that the government has deemed you disabled. So that's one benefit. Another benefit, for example, is that let's say you applied for CPP disability, you got it. Now you're getting the 1,000, 1200, whatever, 1400 bucks a month from CPP disability. And let's say, John, that in a month from now, for whatever reason, your LTD insurer cuts you off benefits. Let's say they're saying you're non-compliant with benefits. Let's say they're saying that you're not no longer disabled. Whatever the excuse is from the insurance company, they cut you off uh, your disability benefits. So you want to contact us, obviously, so we can force your insurance company to pay you what you're owed. But what are you going to do in the meantime, right? It it's may take us a few line. weeks, a few months. So during this time, guess what? CPP disability continues to pay you, so you right. still have that financial lifeline from the government. So that's why I tell people apply for CPP disability because at the end of the day, that's going to strengthen your disability claim vis-a-vis the insurance company. And it's going to give you that financial lifeline if your LTD insurer cuts you off and we have to fight them. There are other benefits as well, but these are the basic ones. So that's why I tell people apply for CPP disability if you are in fact disabled, especially if your insurance company tells you you should apply
1: you, in your experience, have you ever found that somebody who's now receiving CPP, maybe in addition to their long-term disability, does CPP uh, come a call in every two years and say, "Oh, you're not disabled," or it's a it's a different metric that the government uses? In your experience, how's that go down?
2: No, in my experience, it's a different metric. It's it's very rare for me to see somebody on CPP disability that gets cut off. Uh, I mean, there's probably an ongoing uh, disclosure obligation to CPP with respect sure. to saying that you know you continue to be, to, to to remain disabled. Uh, but generally, I don't find CPP to be as intrusive and, and really as, as I, let's say, self-serving as an insurance company. Mm-hmm. I mean, John, not a day goes by where people don't email me and call me from across Canada saying, I don't know what to do with my insurance company. My adjuster keeps asking me for documentation. They're mm-hmm. harassing my doctors, my psychiatrist, my family mm-hmm. doctor. They're threatening me. They're trying to force me back to work. You don't see that typically, at least, with CPP disability. Maybe because that's the government, right? So maybe they're more relaxed about it. I have no idea. But, you know, with LTD insurers, we see this all the time, and I try to guide people, uh, you know, again, by email, by phone. I talk to people all the time for free, incidentally. It doesn't cost anything, okay? I just give this information out as much as I can to help people, because when they contact me, you can sense the stress, anxiety, and the fear that they have in terms of dealing with their insurance companies. But no, to answer your question, CPP disability is not, uh, doesn't act, uh, the way that LTD insurers do in my experience. They're not, they're not difficult to deal with. It's difficult to get CPP disability initially, but once you're on it, it's not that difficult to maintain it.
1: Yeah, I guess it, like you said, it's a government-run program as opposed to a private profit-making enterprise, which we don't begrudge insurance companies for doing that. Everyone likes to make a buck, but of course they're going to keep the purse strings tighter and check up on you all the time and try to get you off claim and try to get you off the uh, the benefits for sure. Uh, what, yeah, else is, I, I, uh, what else is going on? No, yeah, sorry. yeah By the way, I just want to say that I agree with you. I don't
2: begrudge them at all. What I do begrudge them is the fact that they put the fear of God into into claimants right. who are already dealing with their own issues, health issues. To to me, that's very unfair. Now, insurance companies do have rights. They have the right to get documentation from you, updates, medical updates. They have the right to adjudicate the claims fairly, fairly and reasonably. Those are the two words. And what I find in many cases is that the insurance companies are not acting fairly and reasonably. And that's where we hit back. That's where people usually contact us and say, can you help us? And the answer is, yes, we can. Now, let me let me five move five on to another oh, one let me just
1: Let me just throw oh. the number It's been a while. 1-855-821-5900. By the way, if uh, you want to get a hold of Savan and uh, you need to help, uh, at disabilityrights.ca is the, uh, the email. Sorry, pal. Go ahead.
2: No worries. By the way, I want to make, I want to mention this because John, sometimes I get people telling me, you know, they email me a question, uh, and they say, don't, don't read this on air. If you tell me not to read something on air, I will not read it on air. I just find that many of these questions, you know, they're the type of questions I get all the time. So I want people to learn from this and to give this information out. And, And by the way, I always change a little bit of the information so you cannot actually identify the individual. Okay. Uh so just feel free to email me. Uh you, you, no worries. No one's going to know that it's you that emailed me. Uh so this one comes from a lady in Aurelia and here's what she writes. She says, "My LTD carrier, my LTD insurance company said that I missed the cutoff deadline to apply for LTD. Is there anything I can still do?" This is common, John. And, and you know, when I talk to people about their denials or cutoffs from long-term disability, I, I break it down to two, into two categories. I, I, there are what I call technical denials and, and the ones that I call substantive denials. A substantive denial by your insurance company, your, your disability insurance company is, is in my mind when they tell you, we don't think that there is enough medical documentation or enough support to, to convince us. that you are in fact disabled from working. I'm not saying these are, these are appropriate denials. I'm just saying these are substantive. They're, they're looking at the guts of what you've given them and they're concluding on their end that they don't think that that is enough to satisfy the criteria for eligibility to get LTD. Okay. And we deal with those all the time. And, and I can tell you, John, 98% of the time, maybe even 99% of the time, I find that that's not correct, that the insurance company is wrong and we can force them to pay. But those are substantive denials. Technical denials are where the insurance company says, We're not even looking at your documents because here was the deadline for you to even apply for LTD. You missed that deadline by a day, by an hour, by a week, whatever it is. And therefore, we are not going to have to deal with your claim. Absolute nonsense. Okay? And I say nonsense because insurance companies are very much aware that when Courts look at the, you know, these kinds of denials, they assess the prejudice that is done to the insurance company. So, for example, let's say, John, that uh, you have until tomorrow to apply for LTD and, and you missed that deadline and instead you applied you know, a, a day later. What's the prejudice to the insurance company in that case? Right. There is no prejudice. And so what happens is, you know, they tell an individual, no, you missed it by a day or by a week or by a month. We don't care what your excuse or reason is, they say. We're not going to pay you. And I've seen cases where you have people who are owed hundreds of thousands of dollars and they were willing to just forgo it because they thought the insurance company is correct, I missed hmm. the application deadline by a week or whatever. And I come and I say, no, wait a second, wait a second. What was the reason? The person says to me, well, I was in the hospital. Uh, I, I had a case, by the way, a few years back with an individual that had two strokes and a car accident. And that person actually had the power of attorney. He wasn't able to communicate properly. And I was dealing with his son. And, and they missed the application date, the application date to the LTD insurer by a year. And and of course the insurance company denies the claim. Yep. I get in there. I get reports from from the neuropsychiatrist. I, I, I get a report from the neurologist, etc., etc. Give it to the insurance company. I tell them you got two choices here: you pay my client what he's owed, or I start the claim against you. Claim bad faith. I'm going to take this all the way if I need to be in front of a judge. What do you think they did, John? They paid the claim in its entirety because they understood that this technical denial will not stand, especially when you're dealing with somebody who's incapacitated. So again, I'm not saying that in every case we can help you. If you miss a deadline by two years and you have no excuse for it, no reason, well, there's a problem. But if we're talking about a matter of days, a few weeks, even months, in that case with the strokes, over a year you know the insurance company capitulated and i didn't even have to start a claim i simply sent a letter a very strong worded letter with all the medical information the backing right the, the reports from the doctors yep. and the adjuster understood immediately what was happening here and they backed off but insurance companies will tend to issue those technical denials and and the reality is the majority of people out there will walk away from the money that's owed to them because they'll assume that this technical denial will stand And I'm telling you, do not forego your legal claim without speaking with me first. Okay? Very, very key. And I may tell you that you're too late. But at least you'll know. At least you'll have that information. 1-855-821-5900.
1: Call Ask Questions. That's as simple as it gets. Help at disabilityrights.ca as
0: well. Lots more on the way. Disability Law Show and Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: All right, thanks for hanging in. Welcome back to the Disability Law Show. Savannah is here to answer your questions. Uh, There's a way to reach him after the show any other time, as a matter of fact, or a member of his very capable team, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. You have another avenue, and that would be mydisabilityquestions.com, which we'll get back to here in a few minutes, more of your emails and questions I want to get into this so the uh, the topic for the day as we uh, we set off the top of the show Savannah, that is the top three bad reasons why people decide not to challenge their ltd denials very common thing so i want to get right into these i know you want to expand on each of the points and people you know if they if they make mental note at least as we go through these it's it's probably a wise thing that they do number one is fear i mean it's 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 this perceived imbalance of power with the insurer the david and goliath as you always refer to it as right
2: yeah, that's exactly true. And I see this time and time again. You know, people are simply afraid to challenge their insurance company because they think in their minds this insurance company is Goliath. They're a billion-dollar entity. They have unlimited resources. Who am I, the little guy, the, the little girl, you know, to to challenge them? I'll tell you who you are. And I, I'm telling you now not just as a lawyer that represents people like you, like the public out there, but as a lawyer who used to represent early in my career insurance companies this is an illusion do they have unlimited resources of course they do do you really think however that they want to spend those unlimited resources fighting legal claims especially legitimate ones it, no they don't they don't but the whole idea behind insurance and again i, I keep saying this it's quite interesting to me insurance is the only, only product out there that I can think of where you are paying for a product, right? You're buying insurance, whether it's health insurance, travel insurance, I mean, travel insurance. Look at what happened with COVID. All these insurance companies refusing to pay travel claim, right? Uh, car insurance, house insurance, the only product where you buy insurance and as soon as you buy it, the entity you bought it from is actually not interested in in delivering the product to you. They're interested in getting premiums from you every month, but not paying out. And so in order to lessen the amount of claims or to lessen the amount of payouts, they they create this illusion, like the matrix, let's call it that way, where, you know, th- they want you to think that if they deny your claim, usually that comes by way of a very uh, robust letter uh, or email explaining, you know, your medical history, uh, explaining why it is that they made their decision. They may quote some sections of, of the policy, maybe even the insurance act. And you think to yourself, who am I to challenge that denial? And very few people end up then reaching out to a lawyer, to us, for example. A- and when they do, You know, their eyes are opened and oftentimes it takes me, you know, a little bit more time to explain, no, 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 no. hold on for a second. You don't have to be another Goliath in order to beat this Goliath up, okay? Remember the story of David and Goliath. David is the one who won at the end of the day. And this is what happens in many of these cases. Insurance companies, as soon as you break through that illusion, as soon as you challenge them and you say, wait a second, I have certain rights, legal rights, you insurance company are not above the law. My lawyer is going to handle it, which is what we do. We take over all the communications. We deal with the insurance company. We know the law better than their adjusters often do. And, and, and we start a legal process. And they understand as soon as we do that, they understand that they're going to end up spending a lot more money if they fight us all the way. And look, sometimes insurance companies are correct in denying claims, but in many, many cases they are not. And I'm not telling everyone out there that you have a case. I would never do that. What I'm telling you is never, ever accept a denial by a long-term disability insurance company without consulting a disability lawyer. And that's what we do every day. We do these free consultations by phone, by Zoom, by Skype, across Ontario, across BC, across Alberta. We give people this information. So don't be afraid of your insurance company. They don't have unlimited power. As much as you may think they do, as much as they may want you to think that they do, they do not have that. The only way to break through it is for you to understand that you have a lot more power than you think as against insurance companies because they're not above the law. It's just that simple.
1: We are talking the uh, top three bad reasons why people decide not to challenge their LTD denials. Number two is the old uh, carrot dangling in front of you. They uh, have this false hope that the insurer, oh, they may approve my appeal the third time, fourth time, fifth time. Six times. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah, and
2: that's one of the reasons why insurance companies don't challenge the LTD denials. They see people generally, especially Canadians, by the way. I mean, we're very nice people. So we try not to be antagonistic, we try not to be confrontational. Uh, insurance companies don't care. These adjusters who work for them don't care. If you go through the rabbit hole, if you start these appeal processes that the insurance company gives you and allows you to do—I say allows, you know—in a facetious way, in quotes—what you're doing is you're re-asking the exact same people, the exact same company that denied you in the first place to just reconsider your, you know, their their decision to deny your claim. And I'm never going to tell you that these appeals never work. Of course, that sometimes they work. Just like sometimes people get hit by lightning or win the lottery. But these appeals, for the most part, are useless. And they end up aggravating individuals, they end up bankrupting individuals, and people are are often left in a much worse-off state by appealing those denials. And only after they've appealed once, twice, three times, got denied all these times, do they come to us and are then so surprised that we can resolve these claims so quickly. So, you know, don't fall onto, you know, don't, don't, uh, f- fall into this disillusion this again that somehow if, if you engage the insurance company in their quote-unquote formal appeal process that somehow you're going to get some kind of an advantage or there is hope for your claim to to actually succeed because oftentimes that's not the case
1: let's get to uh, number three we'll get it in in a couple minutes before we break and that is mistrust of the legal system and all lawyers
2: <laughs> well, enough said, John, right? I mean, <laughs> most people, if they can help it, you know, don't want to deal with the legal system. I don't blame them. They don't want to deal with lawyers. Don't blame them either. Listen, do I want to go and see a surgeon? I don't want to go see a surgeon if I have a problem. But if I have a problem that requires a surgeon, I want the best surgeon around. So not all lawyers are created equal. Just not, not, not all surgeons are created equal. You want to make sure you get the right lawyers on your side. And, you know, we we have a certain reputation in the field, both on the employment side, employment law side, and the disability, uh, law side. And you can go to Google and look at our reviews, and you'll see the reviews, the the, 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 the tremendous amount of reviews that, that we have for, for all of our lawyers and paralegals across our offices, and there is a reason for that. Okay, for us, quality is paramount. And if we tell you you have a case, you can probably take that to the bank.
1: Let's take, a, uh, let's take a short break. you got more of your emails and uh, contact uh, coming up here in just, a, in just a minute. But in the meantime, I want to write down a, a phone number for you, 1-855-821-5900, one 821 5900 toll free for you to call James or uh, Savan or Tamar. Remember, they're uh, they're wonderful team that are always on this show as well. Give them a call. Have a chat. It'll cost you nothing. Get some more information. Send an email to quietway, help at disabilityrights.ca. And we always refer to it and pull uh, letters from it on the show here as well. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. We'll continue. Still a few minutes to go. Disability Law Show
0: on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: And Welcome back. Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go here. When the show's not on the air, that's okay. You can still reach out anytime to Savannah or a member of the team. Toll free, 1-855-821-5900. It is disabilityrights.ca, the website. Lots of information. You can spend some time there and also find links to our long-running TV show we Suggest you give one of those a viewing. It's only 30 minutes and you'll learn a lot as well, like you do on this show every week. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. Okay, back to it, pal. Give me your, uh, give me your next team.
2: Well, John, they're coming in fast and furious. So let me, let me um, uh, go to one that was uh, posted on MyDisabilityQuestions.com from Amanda in Vancouver, and here's what Amanda writes. I have a chronic pain issue. My insurer asked my doctor if I can go back to gradual work this summer. My LTD two-year mark is in August. My doctor thinks I should try, but I don't feel well enough to try. If I go to work part-time and shortly after I'm still in pain, does my LTD claim continue or do I have to start all over again with a new claim? Very, very good question. And there's a few things here that I want to answer uh, or I want to touch on. Uh, let me start with the answer to her question, which is no, she does not start a new claim. If she remains disabled, in other words, the attempt to go back to work failed, uh, and which ha- which happens, by the way, quite frequently. People think that they're ready to go back or their doctors think that they're ready and they try to go back and then they fail within a day, a week, a month. They ask, well, can I go back on claim? And I tell them, yes, in most cases you can. Most LTD policies contain what I call a recurrence clause. It's a clause, it's a provision in your policy that states that if within a set period of time of trying to go back to work, usually it's about six months, uh, but you have to look at your own uh, policy, uh, if within that period of time uh, you have been unable unsuccessful in returning back to work, you should be able to go back on your LTD claim without waiting the initial elimination period. Remember, when you apply for LTD, there is always an an elimination period, a period of time where you don't get paid anything. It could be 90 days, 120 days, and it's a period of time where you have to remain disabled, and so your money starts coming into your bank account only at the end of that period, at the end of that elimination period. When you try to go back to work, and are unsuccessful and have to go back on claim, you do not have to go back through that elimination period. You don't have that gap in time where you don't get paid. Now, what happens, however, is in many cases, insurance companies, as soon as you try to go back to work, will then put the brakes on you even going back on the new claim. Forget about a new claim. They're just going to tell you, no, we think you can go back to work. You haven't tried hard enough. Which is, of course, nonsensical. And, and to me, you know, again, is, is indicative of how insurance companies really do everything they can, uh, to not pay you. And, and it's just not fair. And you can fight that. It's not, again, difficult to fight. You need your doctor on your side. You need your doctor essentially to write a letter saying, "This person tried to go back to work." Here's what happened. Here's what the experience was. In my opinion, the doctor says, "This person still needs to be off work for and you know they can give a time period or they can see the foreseeable future, etc. And then you give that to the insurance company. If the insurance company says, "No, we're not going to put you back on claim. Well, guess what? You have the legal case against them. Okay, don't appeal those denials. Okay, come to us immediately. Call me, email me. Trust me. I'll tell you what you need to do step by step. Because the insurance company is interested in one thing only, which is to make money. And one of the ways for them to make money is not to pay you what you're owed. So, so don't let them do that. Now, uh, one thing I want to I want to touch on here, John, just to circle back to the beginning of the question. Um, Amanda here writes, my insurer asked my doctor if I can go back to gradual work. My doctor thinks I should try, but I don't feel well enough to try. Sometimes you have that uh, you know, difference of opinion between the individual, the claimant, and their doctor. Right. As much as possible, you want to make sure that there is no daylight between you and your doctor. Sometimes it's impossible. Sometimes your doctor thinks you're ready to go back. By the way, sometimes the doctor may think you're not ready, but you think you're ready. Yeah. You have to work with your doctor because guess what? The insurance company will exploit... Any differences of opinion between what you say and what your doctor or doctors are saying. And, and, you know, you can't force your doctor to have a different opinion. Their opinion is their opinion. But what I'm saying to you is that the insurance company for them, it's divide and conquer. If your doctor says, I think this person is ready to try to go back to work, they will latch onto that. And if you don't go back to work when your doctor says you might be ready, the insurance company will likely end up cutting off your benefits because they'll latch onto what your doctor's saying. Yeah. So you want to make sure you have this communication with your doctor that's ongoing, and you want to make sure, again, as, as much as possible, that there's no daylight between what you say and what your doctor is saying.
1: The number, again, one 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. Take it away, pal. Where are we going?
2: So, John, here's another interesting one here. Uh, this is an opposite situ- uh, situation. This is from Alberta. This individual contacts us and says, look, uh, I'm on LTD with this insurance company. I can't give the name uh, here. He says, I've been on LTD since October of 2019 due to heart failure. Um, I, I, you know, he writes to me. He says, I want to go back to work, but my doctor has advised against it. Exactly the, the opposite of what the, yeah. the, you know, the previous email was. Um, now, uh, the doctor has said, Sorry, the individual says that the insurance company recommends that he apply for CPP disability, but he hasn't yet. And, and, and guess what, John? His concern about applying for CPP disability is not that he's going to get it. He thinks he's going to get it. His doctor thinks he's going to get it. His insurance company thinks he's going to get it. His concern is that if he gets approved for CPP disability, that he will be precluded. He will not be allowed to go back to work ever again, and he wants to go back to work. Really? So this wow. is one of those cases where you have somebody who's obviously uh, you know, an eager beaver and despite his heart failure, just wants to go back to work. Listen, kudos to him. My only concern is that if you go back to work against medical advice, you could potentially be putting yourself at risk. That, that's my concern. Okay? I mean, it's amazing that he wants to go back to work. It's amazing he doesn't want to sit on the couch and just collect disability payments and CPP disability. But you have to do, as far as I'm concerned, what your doctors are saying, because they, they, they know, they understand medicine. Uh, if at the end of the day, you go back to work against medical advice, it's on you. But again, you don't want to have daylights between what you say and what your doctor is saying. But the answer to this gentleman's question is, listen, if you get better at some point down the road, and you're on CPP disability and you're on LTD, there is nothing stopping you from going back to work. You simply advise CPP that you're ready to go back to work, and you go back to work. You advise your insurance company that you're going to try and go back to work. Nothing is wrong with that. If you can work, if you think you can work, if you get the medical okay from your doctors to try to go back to work, do it. Absolutely do it. We don't want people to stay at home. I mean, now with COVID, it's different, but in terms of not working, you want people to work. There is a self-fulfillment element there. There's money. There is everything you know surrounds you know working. The fact that you're on CPP disability does not mean you're never going to be able to go back to work again. Not if you want to, and it's certainly not if your doctors say that you are capable of going back to work.
1: Done for another show. Thanks for hanging with us. You want to reach out toll free 1-855-821-5900. The website is disabilityrights.ca. Information and links to our TV show is there. And then finally, you can also go to mydisabilityquestions.com to ask any questions and get some answers as well.
0: We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show right here on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.